We're in the final week of our series, Follow Me. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing in on some of the incredible encounters that Jesus had with some pretty unlikely people. These encounters teach us important truths about God and what it means to know and follow Jesus with our lives. They also remind us that Jesus is the only person who can truly make a life whole and that God often uses the very people we least expect. In week one, we spent our time in John chapter four, focusing in on the time when Jesus traveled from Judea to Galilee, passing through Samaria along the way. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. In fact, they hated each other with a passion. So it's interesting that Jesus chose to travel through Samaria when there were at least two other common routes that he could have taken. But Jesus had a divinely appointed schedule to keep. You see, traveling through Samaria would take him by Jacob's well, where he would have an unlikely encounter with a Samaritan woman. Like trying to complete a Lego project with all the wrong pieces or with missing pieces, this woman was filling her life with all the wrong things. One broken relationship after another had left her with a lifetime of hurt and emptiness. Jesus set aside what was socially acceptable during his day. He chose to speak with this woman in public. We have to remember this was considered improper because Jesus was a man, he was a Jew, and a rabbi. Now, during their conversation, the Samaritan woman became more and more aware that what she truly needed wasn't material or physical, but spiritual. She had a spiritual need that needed to be addressed. Well, Jesus helped her recognize that need. He did so by offering her living water or eternal life, something that's only found in Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The Samaritan woman eventually believed this truth. Uh, she actually dropped the physical water that she'd come to collect, ran back to her village, and told everyone about the man whom she had met. God used her story, all of her story, to reach most of her village for Jesus. Now, this incredible and unlikely encounter reminds us that God knows our past, but he chooses to love us anyway. This story reminds us that nothing and nobody except for Jesus can fill the empty gap in our life. The story also teaches us that having an encounter with Jesus produces a changed life. In week two, we spent our time in Luke chapter 19, focusing in on the time when Jesus traveled through a place called Jericho. Living in Jericho was a chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, it's kind of interesting because Zacchaeus, his name literally means righteous one, but uh, this chief tax collector was not living up to his name. You see, Zacchaeus was a thief. He was a cheater and a traitor who stole from his own people. But even though he was all of these things and more, we learned that he was a precious lost sinner in the eyes of Jesus. We were reminded that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to save sinners. And this incredible and unlikely encounter reminds us that God wants all people to come to him and to depend on him with childlike faith. Childlike faith is having the same kind of simple, trusting attitude towards God that a child would have towards a parent who loves and cares for them. It's learning to trust God explicitly. Zacchaeus' story reminds us that Jesus wants everyone to know and follow him. Regardless of the individual's hurts, habits, or hang-ups, nobody is outside the reach of God's grace. 
Friends, this is the kind of truth that we should build our lives on. In fact, it's the kind of truth that should help drive everything we do individually and as a church. Well, today we're going to wrap up our series by focusing in on another unlikely encounter that Jesus had. Uh, This encounter takes place in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 16 through 20. Now, this short passage of Scripture will be familiar to many of you, but I want to encourage you um, to read these words with fresh eyes and to hear God's Word with fresh ears today. These five verses, they have a lot to teach us about what it means to know and follow Jesus, about what it means to partner with God and what He's already doing to rescue the world that He loves. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We'll read verses 16 through 20. Mark 1, beginning in verse 16. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So where Matthew and Luke's gospel give us the details about Jesus' birth and more detail about the beginning of his earthly ministry, Mark's gospel begins with Jesus' adult life. Mark is the shortest gospel with only 16 chapters and jumps right into the account of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. There's really not that much buildup before we read about Jesus extending his invitation for others to follow him, before we read about Jesus performing miracles and preaching about the kingdom of God. Although this unlikely encounter happens uh, toward the beginning of Mark's gospel, This isn't the first time that Jesus met these men and extended the invitation for them to follow him. Uh, The first time that we see this invitation is actually in the book of John, chapter 1. So if we were uh, to read about the life and ministry of Jesus in chronological order, John, chapter 1, the events that take place there, happen first. So just one day after Jesus was baptized by his relative, John the Baptist, two of John's disciples heard about Jesus And they chose to follow him. Andrew, one of these men, then went out and found his brother Simon, or Peter, who also chose to follow Jesus. Uh, One day after all of this took place, Jesus went to Galilee, where he extended the same invitation to a man by the name of Philip. Philip then went and found Nathanael, who also chose to follow Jesus, although Nathanael needed a little more proof. Uh, He needed more proof and evidence that Jesus was who Philip said he was. You know, as a detour... I think this is a great reminder for all of us that um, doubt is okay. Doubt in and of itself is not sin. Um, Doubt is okay as long as we allow God to use our doubt to grow a greater faith in us. And that's exactly what happened in Nathaniel's life. So John chapter 1 is the very first time uh, we see Jesus extending his invitation for others to follow him. It's important that we understand that this first invitation to follow was an invitation to believe. You see, in John chapter 1, these men were not asked to leave their jobs or to drop everything they were doing and and literally follow Jesus. They were simply invited to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The passage that we're reading today in Mark chapter 1 is the second time uh, that Jesus extended his invitation for these men to follow him. Only this time, the invitation to follow was a little different. 
This time around, they're asked to follow Jesus as disciples, traveling with him to places like Capernaum and Galilee and learning from Jesus to live like Jesus. I'd like for us to reread today's passage and then we'll dive into the main points. I want to reread this because now that we have the context, I think we'll hear it and read it a little differently. So Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. If you happen to be taking notes today, the first point that I'd like to talk about is this. Uh, The invitation is to follow Jesus. The invitation is to follow Jesus. That was the invitation for these men 2,000 years ago. And friends, it's the same invitation for our lives today. I think a lot of people have the assumption that these men were already great men of faith from the very first couple of interactions they had with Jesus. But that's not the case. See, they were an imperfect, ragtag group of men who had to grow in their faith just like we do. Jesus told them that he would show them how to fish for people. That They had to learn what it means to follow Jesus along the way. This was on-the-job training, and you know, I often think that on-the-job training is the best kind of training. These men were fishermen who knew how to fish for fish. And there's actually a lot of evidence that would show us that they were good at their jobs. They were successful. They had hired men, and they had built a company to provide for their families and and their other workers. But now they were being given the invitation to drop what they were doing, to follow Jesus, and learn how to fish for people. This phrase, fishers of men, is a phrase that many of us have heard before. It's also a phrase that was used for centuries Uh, during Jesus' day, to describe the work of the man who seeks to catch others by teaching and persuasion. So Jesus used a phrase that was commonly used during his day to help these men understand what they would be doing with him. Plus, these men were in the fishing business, so it only makes sense that Jesus would use language that they would all understand. I'd like to revisit this encounter and talk about what being a fisher of men and a disciple of Jesus really means for our lives today. Jesus said that he would show them how to fish for men, Um, but the set of instructions that he gave was for them to follow him. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men, but the actual instruction at this point is, hey, drop what you're doing and follow me. Far too often, I think we overcomplicate what this experience would have been like for these early disciples and what it should look like in our lives today. We have a lot of great resources at our fingertips, resources that um, seek to help us learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. You can go to Barnes & Noble or do a quick Google search and find some really good books on Christian living with topics that cover everything from marriage to raising kids, how to use your gifts to serve God, and even how to lead a ministry in the local church. Here at OCC, we have growth groups. These are small groups that are designed to help you connect with other believers Um, help you grow in your faith, and help you apply God's word to your life. So don't get me wrong. These are all amazing things, and I'm grateful that we have all of these resources at our disposal in our time today. But I'm afraid that we've gotten so comfortable sitting in classrooms or meeting with others online to 
to simply study the Bible, that we often neglect or even forget altogether how to live God's word out in our own lives. We have to remember God's word is for learning and for living. Following Jesus has become more about how much we know and a lot less about how we live our lives for Jesus. For these early disciples, following Jesus was simply the result of having a genuine, sincere faith that Jesus is who he says he is, and then literally following him around, learning from him, and doing what he did. Far too often, I think the church is guilty of overcomplicating what it means to follow Jesus. Let me give you just one sentence or one definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ or a disciple of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. It's as simple as that. I think we're great at the learning part, but we have to see that we're also called to live it out. So if if the invitation is to follow Jesus, assuming that you already believe in Jesus, remember this is the second time that Jesus extended this invitation to follow. So keeping in context with the story that we're reading today, assuming that you're already a follower of Jesus, then what are you supposed to do? What's the mission that God has given us? Well, there's a few passages that people commonly turn to in an effort to answer this question. For example, when the church really took off in the book of Acts, we read about how early Christians were devoted uh, to specific things. They were devoted to uh, the teaching of God's word, applying that to their life. They were devoted to fellowship with one another, uh, to breaking bread, to having meals together and partaking in the Lord's Supper. And they were devoted to prayer. All of these things are extremely important, and the church should be devoted to these things today. But I would argue that these are some of the things that help build a healthy church. And when done right, keep our eyes focused on and help us to achieve the mission. Um, These things are not the mission itself. Another passage that people look to when trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus is Matthew 22, 36 through 40. This is commonly known as the great commandment. You'll be familiar with these verses. Um, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Uh, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So this is a passage of scripture known as the Great Commandment. Uh, Most churches have a mission statement or a phrase that tries to encompass, in just a few words, um, what they're all about. Now, I know that you've heard the phrase, love God and love people. This is a phrase that a lot of churches use to describe what it is that they're about. This is an amazing phrase, and this comes directly from God's word. These verses are crucial and foundational for all believers and for all churches, Jesus says at the end, uh, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. But while loving God and loving people is crucial and foundational to everything that we're doing and are to be about as Christians, the great commandment is not the mission that God has invited us into. A great way to think about the great commandment, you know, loving God and loving people, is that it's the motive behind the mission. It's what fuels everything that we do. So because we love God, because we love people, we engage in the mission. So there are things that we're to be devoted to as a church. You know, learning and living out God's word, uh, fellowship or community with other believers, 
um, breaking bread, prayer. Um, but these should be more marks of a healthy church. And we're also called to love God and love people. Um, this should be the motive that drives the mission. So as we love God, we love people. And as we love people in the way that God loves us, we engage in the mission. So what's the mission? Well, the mission, what we're called to do, is given to us in Matthew chapter 28. This is a familiar passage of Scripture that's often referred to as the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're taking notes, the second point is this. The mission is to make disciples. The mission is to make disciples. So this mission to make disciples, it's important that we understand this. This is not our mission. It's God's mission. It's merely our co-mission with God. And that's why we call it the great co-mission. So we're not trying to reach the world on our own. We're invited to partner with God in what he's already doing to rescue the world he loves. So the invitation to follow Jesus is just that. We're following Jesus, not going off on our own and doing what we want to do. We often associate the Great Commission with Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and rightfully so. But I think it's really cool to understand that all four gospel writers, including the Apostle Paul, recorded their own version of the Great Commission. So Mark wrote in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, this is his version of the Great Commission. He wrote, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Dr. Luke wrote his version in Luke 24, verse 27 and 28. He wrote, And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Uh, John wrote in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Luke also recorded these words in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the Apostle Paul recorded his version of the Great Commission in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He wrote, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I want to pause for a moment because I can see how this can become confusing pretty quickly. But I want you to see that the Great Commission isn't meant to be complicated at all. Can I give you two sentences that are so easy to remember and will help all of us understand the co-mission that we're a part of with Jesus? So I call this the Great Commission Simplified. Here it is. Walk with people as you walk with Jesus. Before long, they'll meet each other. Let me say that one more time. Walk with people as you walk with Jesus. Before long, they'll meet each other. So as you're walking with Jesus, growing in your relationship with Jesus, build relationships with other people as well. And as you do, they'll have a front row seat to who Jesus is and what it means to know and follow him. 
The Great Commission is an all-hands-on-deck kind of mission. In fact, every Christian in every vocation at all times is meant to be a participant in making disciples. As we're involved in this mission, we have to remember that we, we don't do this alone. Right? God doesn't send us out and, and we're just left to our own devices. No, we have to remember Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and walking arm in arm with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we partner with God to make disciples wherever we go. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to be a disciple of Jesus who learns to make more disciples for Jesus. It's an invitation to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. And if you're a Christian, God has a role for you to play in partnering with him and his bride, the church, to help achieve his mission. That leads us to our last point for today. Number three, there is no better time than the present. There's no better time than the present. Romans chapter eight, verse 28 reminds us that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. When I say there's no better time than the present to partner with God to help achieve his mission, friends, I mean it. You know, sure, the, the pandemic has been rough. It's terrible. But God can and has already been using his church in incredible ways over the past several months. Now, more people than ever are tuning in each week to participate in our online service or our online podcast. We've started a new online service ministry this season. This is a ministry that's meant to help reach new people during the pandemic. We've also seen a handful of individuals and families who have volunteered to serve in other capacities over the past year. The church is the body of Christ, and the body can only function properly when it's healthy. And the body's only healthy when all the parts are doing what they were meant to do. Whether you're participating from home or are attending in person, there's a place for you and an opportunity for you to use the gifts that God has given you to serve. Even during a pandemic, there's no better time than the present. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. This is a passage that really stood out to me this week. I was really convicted by these words. This is what James wrote. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. It's good to have goals. It's good to have plans, but these things will always disappoint if you leave God out of them. One commentator wrote, there's no point in making plans as though God does not exist because the future is in his hands. So if there's no better time than the present to be a part of God's mission, to be actively involved, then the most appropriate prayer that any one of us could pray this season is this, Lord, what would you like for me to do today? Here I am. Send me. Let me say that again because I want to encourage you, wherever you might be listening from, I want to encourage you to make this your prayer. Lord, what would you like for me to do today? Here I am. Send me. That's a dangerous prayer. That's saying, Lord, regardless of a pandemic, 
regardless of what's going on in my family, regardless of what's happening at work, what would you like for me to do? Here I am, send me. There's so many different ways for you to get involved this season using the gifts that God has given you. Right now, there are two opportunities to sign up to cook a meal for the Warming Center. They're our Love Local partner uh, for March and April. On March 26th and April 16th, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to provide meals and to serve. So you can call the church office today. You can sign up for one of these spots. Another opportunity is you can begin to call some of the members of our congregation, of our church family, who are stuck indoors, and just say hi. Offer to pray for them and see if they have any needs right now. You can bake some cookies for your neighbors and invite them to join us online each Sunday. That's one of the easiest, uh, most practical, and most effective ways to reach people right now. Just invite them to join us online. Um, If you're physically able, you can plow your neighbor's driveway when it snows. This is a great way to serve others with compassion. Um, You can give financially to help with the efforts that are being made through our Love Local ministry. You could share your craft skills with another church member through a Zoom call. I know that's been a pretty popular way to connect this season. You can sign up to serve with our online serving ministry. Man, God is doing some amazing things through that ministry. You could even write a note of encouragement to someone who, who simply needs a friend. I could write an entire sermon, I think, about all the ways that you can be actively involved in participating in God's mission and serving God by serving others this season. I think that would be a great sermon. (laughs) Instead, I want to leave you with this. Jesus has extended an invitation for us to follow him. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey and one that I am so excited to be a part of with each and every one of you. But to follow Jesus requires an active faith. It's faith in action. So my question for you today is this. How are you going to get involved in the mission that we are invited into this season? You know, sitting on the sidelines is not an option for the Christian. It never has been. God wants all of us to be actively involved in the game. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, what would you like for me to do today? Here I am. Send me.